Tonight, as we continue our study of the life of Christ, we're, we're doing so uh, as a continuation from last quarter into this quarter, and we will continue into the next quarter. It is a three-quarter class, um, and I'm squeezing in. I'm hoping I have enough time to get all the lessons in. I've counted them out, and I might be one, sh- one too many lessons, but I'll figure it out somewhere along the way. Uh, so we're continuing our study of the life of Christ right now. We're kind of in the middle of his ministry. Uh, we spent most of last quarter focusing on his uh, birth through his be- the beginning of his ministry, and we'll spend most of next quarter at the end of his life running into his death and resurrection. Uh, but tonight we're going to turn our attention to one uh, particular healing miracle uh, that occurred very early in his ministry, and it's the healing of a leper. You can find it recorded in three of the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 45, and Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 16. I haven't uh, done this in a while, but we're going to read all three accounts just to have the comparison, but I'll go ahead and tell you Mark will be our primary focal point tonight. Uh, Mark's account is actually the longest of the three. But let's start with Matthew's account. It appears Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And here is the reading from Matthew. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now let's skip over to Mark's account. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now Luke's account, which appears in chapter 5 of Luke, verses 12 through 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. That's all three accounts of this particular healing. And I think the first thing we need to address is what is leprosy? Now, we need to address it in the context of what leprosy is today and what leprosy was then. Leprosy today is a disease that does not affect um, our nation too much, though the most cases of leprosy in the U.S. do occur in the southern United States. Does anybody know why? What was that? No. There is a particular animal who naturally carries the bacteria that causes leprosy, the armadillo. And so where armadillos reside is where the actual most cases of leprosy occur in the U.S., but there's only like, there's less than 200 cases of leprosy that come up in the U.S. every year. So it's not a disease we encounter very often. It's much more prevalent in India and Brazil. Those are the two highest peaking places where leprosy occurs. Now, leprosy takes multiple forms. There are multiple uh, types of leprosy and multiple degrees of leprosy. But the one that is the, the most well-known is actually has a, different, has a, a more specific name called Hansen's disease. And, and Hansen's disease 
is the uh, infection that can affect the skin, uh, the, the nose, the eyes, the, and the peri- peripheral nerves. Um, it results in disfiguring skin sores, uh, deformities, even loss of digits of your nose, things like that, and, and it causes severe nerve damage. Now, it usually takes about three to five years for symptoms to appear after one comes in contact with the leprosy-causing bacteria, and, and some people do not develop symptoms until 20 years later. So that makes it hard to diagnose to some degree. But here's the thing um, that I find very interesting about leprosy today is that it's really not that contagious. You can catch it only, and this is hilarious knowing what times we live in right now. You can catch it. This is a quote from... Uh, WebMD. You can catch it only if you come into close and repeated contact with nose and mouth droplets from someone with untreated leprosy. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? But the CDC says that prolonged close contact with someone with untreated leprosy over many months is needed to catch the disease. You cannot get leprosy from a casual contact with a person who has it, like shaking their hand or hugging them or sitting next to them on the bus or sitting together at a meal. It's just not that contagious. You have to be around somebody for an extended period of time. And leprosy is treatable today with a combination of antibiotics. But here's the thing. It takes anywhere from one to two years of antibiotic treatment to get it to go away. So that's leprosy today. And we most commonly associate the leprosy, if you were to go Google images of leprosy, the type of leprosy you're going to come across is the one that's commonly referred to as Hansen's disease. Now, when we get to the Bible, and as medical professionals have examined the descriptions of leprosy, in particular in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, where it's talked about the most, they, they have come to the conclusion that Hansen's disease is not the only thing that's associated with leprosy in the Bible. That deforming skin condition is not the only thing that's being referenced in those chapters. This is a quote from uh, one commentary. Widespread agreement exists among commentators that in the Bible, leprosy is a general term covering various chronic skin diseases and is not limited to Hansen's disease as is the contemporary use of the word. So some of the the skin diseases that are identified in uh, Mosaic Law in particular, um, some of the skin conditions listed there, uh, could have been related to a variety of skin conditions such as psoriasis, eczema, uh, tuberculoid leprosy, or leukoderma. There's so many things that it could also include from a biblical standpoint, I, I get the impression in my study of this that it was a broad definition of leprosy that applied to various skin diseases, and it was done so because you, uh, the untrained eye, the, uh, the non-expert, wouldn't be able to distinguish between psoriasis and eczema. I mean, I mean psoriasis, not eczema, psoriasis and leprosy or eczema and leprosy. So it it kind of was an all-inclusive definition so that um, what we consider to be true leprosy uh, would would not go unchecked. So it's interesting, though, when we get to this account of this leper, Luke says that he was full of leprosy. That seems to give the impression that his entire body uh, was ravaged by this disease and and is likely an indicator that we're dealing with what is known today as Hansen's disease, where you have the decaying of the skin and the deformities and the nerve damage and that sort of thing. So uh, th- we needed to understand that there's a difference between what we commonly refer to as leprosy today and what was leprosy back then, because when you start reading about leprosy in Mosaic Law, it, it even applied to the interior of your house or to garments and things like that, and that's not how leprosy works today. But it's worth knowing the differences as we move forward. Now, here's why it was such a big deal in Bible times. There are three main reasons. Number one, it was considered unclean. Leprosy was an unattractive skin disease, or diseases for that matter, for which the Bible had prescribed quarantine from the rest of society. 
So Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 and 46, in those two verses, we're told what somebody who is deemed to be leprous had to do. And here's what Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 and 46 says. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So you have, well, let's all go ahead and look at another passage that describes the, uh, what a leper had to do. It's Numbers chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. So here's the other instruction that Mosaic law gives for those who have contracted leprosy. The Lord speaking says, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge, and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. Now that passage in Numbers 5 is dealing with other unclean situations, but leprosy is numbered among them. And the policy is, if you've got it, you get kicked out of town. So, in general, lepers were required to live outside of cities and towns, have no contact with anyone, and declare themselves unclean when anyone approached. And if you notice in that Leviticus passage, they also had to dress a certain way, and they weren't supposed to cut their hair, and they're supposed to cover their mouth, so that the, all these indicators exist, so that you'll know that that person over there has leprosy and you won't get close to them. When you hear all that, the thing that comes to my mind is how horrible life had to be for someone who contracted leprosy. You're an outcast. You have to embarrass yourself in front of other people. You, you have to wear torn clothes. You can't wear nice clothes. You can't wear clothes that look like they're in good condition. You have to wear torn clothes. You can't cut your hair. Do you realize how much this is starting to sound like our quarantine? And you have to, you have to announce that you're unclean. You have to tell people that you have this disease. You're intentionally having to live an embarrassing life. And no one knows how long you're going to be stuck like that. No one knew how long you were going to have it or if you were ever going to be able to get it to go away. You can find, um, and what ends up happening is these lepers, they're outcasts. They're outside the city. They're ostracized. They have no social interaction with people. And so they would form their own little colonies. And they kind of had to. They had to pull together to survive because they couldn't hold a job. They were completely reliant on the charity of others. And so they, they pulled themselves together in colonies. You can uh, see evidence of a couple of colonies in Scripture. In 2 Kings chapter 7, you have four lepers who are gathered together outside the city gates of Samaria. They're, they're their own little colony. It's during the time when the king of, of Syria is besieging the city of Samaria. And they're not allowed inside. There's a military camped outside, and they can't go inside the city where there's protection because they're lepers. That, that just goes to show how outcast they are. They're, they're not privy to the protection from enemies that the rest of the citizens are. In addition to that, we can read about in, in uh, Luke chapter 17, we have this group of ten lepers that are going to uh, encounter Jesus. Jesus is traveling uh, from one town to another, and he passes by these lepers they see jesus coming and they shout from a distance we're told they don't shout unclean unclean they shout lord have mercy on us but they don't come close to jesus they stood at a distance and lifted up their voices and they were a group of 10 so that's another indication of a leper colony but it also shows how they're having to operate based on the parameters of mosaic law there's also an interesting um, story about how king Isaiah contracted leprosy because of his sin. And one little verse in 2 Kings chapter 15 and verse 5 tells us that 
the Lord touched the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death. That was the consequence of his sin, which we'll mention later. And he lived in a separate house. He was king over the nation, but he couldn't live with everybody else. He had to live separately. That ostracized situation even affected the most powerful man in the nation. So the, the, this, this situation of being unclean forced them outside the community, both from a uh, social standpoint and, as I'll talk about in a minute, a religious standpoint as well. Um, and I, I find it interesting. We've not had anything quite as comparable to this, except for possibly when the HIV-AIDS outbreak began in the 80s. That's probably the closest comparison to the ostracizing of people that we'll ever see. Because when, when that came about, for the longest time as, as lay people in society, you didn't know if breathing the same air as them could cause you to contract it. It took years for um, the, the medical professionals to get, to, to get the information to in a way that was acceptable that you can't just contract that from them by sitting next to them, by touching them, by sweat, by breath, that sort of thing. And so they were ostracized. That kind of mentality is the best way you can compare what it was like for a leper uh, in, in their day. And that's also because the other thing you need to know about leprosy in Bible times is it was considered incurable. Uh, there, this belief was largely based on uh, one particular, or is largely evidenced by one particular passage. 2 Kings chapter 5, if you'll turn there, that's the story of Naaman. And now Naaman will have leprosy, and he will get cleansed of leprosy. But what's interesting is that Naaman is not an Israelite. He's the commander of the king of Syria's army. And the king of Syria sends Naaman to Israel with a request of the king of Israel to um, help with this leprous situation. According to Second Kings chapter five, or according to Second Kings chapter five, the king of Syria requested for his commander to be healed of leprosy somehow by the king of Israel. According to verse 7 of that chapter, the king of Israel responded to this request by tearing his clothes. And he says, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? What the king of Israel is saying is, can, can, do I have the power to, to take life and give life? Because that's what I'm going to need in order to find a cure for this guy's condition. Of course, God's going to intervene through a prophet, Elisha, here to make this, uh, to fulfill this request. But that statement made by the king of Israel shows just the thought process of people when they saw someone with leprosy. They didn't think it was possible for them to come back. This is also evidenced in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 12. There's a moment where Aaron and Miriam oppose Moses, and in that moment, God strikes Miriam with leprosy. And when Aaron realizes that Miriam has leprosy, he says, let her not be as one dead. In their eyes, it was incurable. And not only was that, not only was it so feared by the Israelites because it was incurable and because it made them unclean, but also because they associated it with sin. It was considered unrighteous. So when Naaman, who we've already talked about briefly, went to, um, receive, to, to see if he could be cleansed of his leprosy, he finds healing because he humbles himself. But at that time, Elisha had a servant named Gehazi. And Gehazi decides to try to use that whole situation for his financial gain. And he acts very deceptively, and he's very scheming. And because of his actions, he gets stricken with leprosy, which you can read about in 2 Kings chapter 5. 
So, so this servant named Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, gets leprosy because of his sin. And I mentioned King Isaiah a minute ago. If you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 26, you can see how he's stricken with leprosy because of his sin. He acted arrogantly by going into the temple where he had no authority to go and burning incense that he had no authority to burn. And because of that, the Lord struck him with leprosy. And then, of course, Miriam, who we mentioned, was complaining about Moses' marriage and his leadership, among other things. And the Lord uh, cursed her with uh, leprosy in that moment in Numbers chapter 12. So there's this repeated indicator in the Old Testament that leprosy has an, an association with the sin of someone. That oftentimes people were stricken with leprosy as a consequence of their sin. And so the mindset of the, the Israelite, the mindset of the Jew at this time was that a leper must have that disease because of some unrighteousness, some immorality, some sin that's present in their life. And that's compounded by the fact that a leper's quarantine was not just a physical quarantine, it was also a spiritual quarantine because leprosy rendered victims religiously unclean. And it's interesting because the Bible never speaks of leprosy as something from which a person was healed. It's always something from which they're cleansed. It's a very interesting little detail there. If you've got leprosy, you're not healed from it. You're cleansed from it as using the same language that we use when it comes to sin. You're not healed from sin. You're cleansed of sin. And so there's this idea, at least, that seems to, to make, make this association between leprosy and, and sin to some degree. Almost as if leprosy is a symbol of sin that must be cleansed, as one author said. And it's very interesting that the procedure for someone to be pronounced clean from their leprosy was for them to go to the priest, this person who functions as an intermediary between God and man. And the priest would operate as a health inspector almost. The, the priests are given instructions on how to determine if leprosy is still present. And if the priest is satisfied with what he sees, then the individual who has been deemed cleansed of their leprosy has to go offer a sacrifice, just like someone who's going to seek forgiveness from God at the temple. And after that, after that, after the priest deems him clean and after he makes that sacrifice, he's then able to be reinstated into the community of faith. So all of these things make it seem to the mind of these first century Jews, at least, that leprosy and sin go hand in hand. And with all that background, that's what we come to this story with. Understanding just how big of a deal leprosy was in this time period and now all of a sudden in just a few verses whether you're looking at Matthew Mark or Luke you have this small account about this one leper coming to Jesus for healing and I want you to consider what is significant about how this leper approached Jesus and there are three things I notice the first of which is he breaks protocol this leper breaks protocol by approaching Jesus you remember when we read Leviticus they're supposed to be outside the city. They're supposed to keep their distance. They're supposed to cover their mouth. They're supposed to shout unclean so that people won't get close to them. But this lone leper doesn't do that. This leper, Matthew says, came to Jesus and knelt before him. Matthew says that he came to Jesus and kneeling before him. Luke says that while Jesus was in one of the cities where a leper's not supposed to be, this individual came and fell on his face before Jesus. It's very interesting. He breaks protocol. And the fact that the leper was willing to ignore the, the Mosaic law instructions goes to show that he believed that Jesus was able to heal him. He wouldn't have taken that risk of breaking the law if he didn't believe Jesus could actually do this. One commentator said it this way, 
The leper displays a great audacity to mingle with such a large crowd in apparent defiance of Leviticus chapter 13, verse 46. But he certainly treats Jesus with great respect. See, he goes to Jesus because he believes Jesus can do it. And the other things he does as he approaches Jesus demonstrates that. Because the very next thing you'll notice about this leper's approach is that he fell on his face and begged Jesus. That's the language of Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. That posture is a posture of reverence. Think back through stories in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 3, when um, the Lord appeared to Abraham at the time he's going to institute the covenant of circumcision. Abraham fell on his face before the Lord. When the uh, first burnt offering was consumed by the Lord in Leviticus chapter 9 and verse 23, the Israelites fell on their faces before the Lord. When Moses and Aaron sought the Lord's mercy on behalf of the nation of Israel in Numbers chapter 16 and verse 22, because the Lord was in one of those moments where he was threatening to destroy all of them, when Moses and Aaron sought his mercy, they fell on their face before him. And when the commander of the army of the Lord appeared to Joshua, guess what Joshua did? He fell on his face before him. That posture of falling on one's face is a posture of reverence. And it's worth mentioning that when you get over to Luke chapter 17 and that colony of ten lepers is talked about, there's only one that goes back and thanks Jesus for, for cleansing them. But when he goes back to Jesus... He does the exact same thing. He falls on his face. This leper is demonstrating physically his reverence for Jesus. Again, the only reason he would do that is if he believes Jesus can cleanse him. Then notice what he says. The leper says, if you will, you can make me clean. I find that statement very interesting in comparison to somebody else who's going to come along in Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, you have this father who brings his uh, possessed son to Jesus. Actually, he brings him to Jesus' disciples, and they could not cast out the unclean spirit. And so Jesus enters the scene, and listen to what this father said to Jesus. Um, it's Mark chapter 9, verse 22. The father said, From childhood it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. The father's describing what this unclean spirit does to his son. And then the father says in Mark chapter 9, verse 22, But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can. In Mark chapter 9, that father wasn't sure that Jesus could. But here in Mark chapter 1, the leper doesn't say, if you can. He says, if you will. This leper believed Jesus could remedy his situation. He's not doubting Jesus' ability. He just doesn't know if that's going to be a part of Jesus' will. If you will, you can make me clean, he says. The leper, one commentator says it this way, the leper reveals an astonishing confidence in Jesus' power, especially in light of the Jewish belief that cures of lepers were as difficult as resurrections from the dead. But at the same time, the leper defers to Jesus' sovereignty here. It's interesting. I pointed out that uh, earlier that the Jewish mind was one that believed the these diseases, the leprous diseases, could not be cured. There's only two episodes of leprosy being cured in the whole Old Testament. Miriam and Naaman. I didn't take the time to count it up, but there might be more resurrections in the Old Testament than there are leprous cures. Or at least it's tied. 
So the fact that this leper believes Jesus can do it, and, and you have to remember, Jesus will heal that colony of lepers in chapter 17 of Luke. But at this point, he has never cured or cleansed, I should say, leprosy. This leper believes he can do it. That's amazing, amazing faith. He has little to operate off of. He just boldly comes before Jesus and says, if you will, you can make me clean. So now let's consider how Jesus responded. Because as beautiful and amazing as the leper's uh, approach to Jesus was, Jesus' response is just as beautiful and just as amazing, if not more so. First thing I want you to notice is we're told that Jesus was moved with compassion. The ESV, I, this is one of the few times that I don't like the ESV. It says he was moved with pity. I don't think the word pity conveys Jesus' emotions here like the word compassion does. Because pity makes us think, oh, we just feel sorry for him. I can have pity on a lot of things. I can have a pity on a losing football team. I don't have compassion for him, though. I can have pity on uh, anyone at any time, but that's not the same as compassion. In fact, I looked it up. Um, Google defines compassion as sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. That's not a great definition. I don't think compassion and pity are one and the same. And so I came across a better definition. It comes from dictionary.com. It says, Compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. That's the difference. Pity is, oh, I feel sorry for you. Compassion is, I hurt for you and I want to help you. That's what the difference was for Jesus. He didn't just look at the leper and feel pity for him. He did something to alleviate his suffering. And this isn't the only time we're told Jesus had compassion. In Matthew chapter 9, and verse 36, we're told that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then immediately prior to feeding the 5,000, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14 that when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 34 records a time when Jesus met two blind men in Jericho who cried out for him to have mercy on us and he had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately they received sight. And then Luke describes in Luke chapter 7 and verse 13 how on one occasion Jesus encountered a funeral procession for a widow's only child. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And the next thing she knew, he brought her son back to life. Compassion is that component that wants to alleviate the pain and suffering of someone else. That's what Jesus is moved with when he meets this leper. Now, I, I want to make note of something real quick. Does anybody here have the NIV? Anybody in here using the NIV tonight? Come on, I'm not going to crucify you if you are. NIV doesn't say moved with compassion or moved with pity. Uh, it says indignation or anger. If you pull it up on your phone or something like that, it's very interesting. There is, if, if you recall, if those of you who were in here in the spring quarter with me when we studied uh, uh, how we got the Bible and we dealt with manuscript evidence, this is one occasion where there is some manuscript discrepancy. And the majority of texts and the best manuscripts say move with compassion. But there are a few that say moved with indignation. And that doesn't really sit, seem to fit the context of the story as well. But there are a lot of um, 
scholars who have defended that translation, uh, that, in, that manuscript evidence, even though it's in the minority and it's not in the best manuscripts or the oldest manuscripts, that sort of thing. But I just thought I'd make note of it in case somebody was using a translation uh, that, that uh, uses the indignation or wrath word instead of compassion. Now, the second thing Jesus does here is the best part. He stretched out his hand and touched him. This is fascinating to me. Because the one thing you did not do with a leper is make physical contact with them. Because according to Mosaic law, if you touch a leper, you automatically become unclean as well. Leviticus chapter 5, verse 2 through 3, describes this. That's Leviticus chapter 5, verses 2, through th- 2 and 3. It says, If anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal, or a carcass of unclean livestock, or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness, of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, then it explains what he needs to do. Leprosy was an unclean thing. For Jesus to touch the leper, making himself unclean, technically. It was an unheard of thing to do. Jesus did it anyway. Now, here's what's really fascinating. If you, uh, if you look at Matthew's gospel, the healing of the leper occurs immediately before an, another healing, which we'll be addressing next week, Lord willing. It's the healing... Oh, no, this is not the one we'll study next week. Never mind. In Matthew's account, this healing of the leper occurs before the healing of the centurion's servant. Does anybody know what was unique about how Jesus healed the centurion's servant? From a distance. From one town to another, Jesus spoke the word and the guy was healed. Did Jesus have to touch him to do that? No. Jesus didn't have to touch people to heal them. There were some that he touched, the blind men we mentioned a couple minutes ago, they had their eyes touched. He would physically make contact with some, but other times he would just say the word. He brought Tabitha, was it? Back to life just by saying, arise. He called out Lazarus' name, and he walked out of a tomb. He didn't have to touch So why touch now in a moment where anybody who sees it is going to deem Jesus unclean? Why touch the leper? I think this is an extension of this compassion that we're told he had. Because think about this. When was the last time that leper had physical contact with anybody? From the moment that first spot showed up, And he was sent outside the city. Aside from additional lepers, he had no no physical contact with anybody. No handshake. No fist bump. No pat on the back. No hug. No incidental physical contact. None of that. You know, when we came back from, from our quarantine at the start of the pandemic, it took us a while to figure out how we were going to make physical contact, right? You know, some of us did fist bumps, some of us did elbow bumps, some of us maybe touched feet. We didn't, we didn't know how to greet one another at first. And, and, and you still see it sometimes, even now, we're 18 months removed from that or whatever, and you still see some people go to shake and they kind of back out of it. You know, you, you get that awkwardness for a moment on some people who are still, still concerned about that physical contact. And I'm not faulting them. I'm just saying it's still this far removed from the start of the pandemic. And we still struggle with that. This guy 
hasn't even had that. Jesus is doing something so amazing here. He's not just cleansing this guy of the disease that has taken away his social status and his, and his uh, financial income and his family time. He's making him feel like a human again just by touching him. That's the depths of the compassion of our Lord. He took an extra step that wasn't necessary and touched this guy. Then after that, he does something that seems rather strange. He instructed this leper not to say anything, to keep quiet about this healing. Now, why would Jesus order the leper to say nothing? Some contend, excuse me, some contend that he did this, that this is an apologetic device by the authors of the Gospels. Here's what I mean by that. Some contend that these occasions, and this is not the only one, but these occasions where Jesus tells the one who has been healed or the one who has been, uh, who has experienced something amazing, these moments where he says, don't say anything, are the, uh, the gospel author's way of explaining how the news of what he's done didn't spread more rapidly. It's kind of their defense against the assertion, well, if this really happened, why haven't I heard about it? And so some contend that the authors gave these explanations that Jesus told people not to talk to explain why more people weren't following him. But that's completely unnecessary. You know why? Because the next thing this leper does is he goes out and tells everyone. So that defense is defenseless. So maybe the reason he tells the leper not to say anything is so he won't get the wrong attention. He's trying, maybe it's that he's trying not to just draw people into his miraculous ability because that wasn't the central part of his ministry. His main focus in ministry was to teach and to preach the good news. His miracles, his ability to, to cleanse a leper or to heal a disease or to cast out a demon was his way of verifying his message. And maybe he didn't want to just get the attraction of people that wanted to see a sign. Maybe he was trying to avoid the wrong attention. Some contend that maybe he did it to try to quench the fervor of people like the zealots who were eager for a messianic figure that they could get behind and they could overthrow the Roman government because their idea was that the kingdom of God was going to be the reestablishment of a physical kingdom in Israel. And so maybe he didn't want word to spread so that the fervor of these people who had a false perception of the kingdom wouldn't get out of hand. Or maybe it's much more simple than all of those. Maybe it's because he just wanted the leper to focus in that moment on his spiritual responsibility. Because Jesus is going to get, tell him to go show himself to the priest, to go make the sacrifices that are supposed to make as a, as a cleansed leper. Maybe he wants the leper to not worry about going out and telling everybody about what happened. He wants him to go to Jerusalem. He wants him to go make that sacrifice. He wants him to go be obedient to the law. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it's a combination of these. But it's interesting. Although the leper was told to say nothing to anyone, verse 45 of Mark chapter 1 says that he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Isn't that interesting? Jesus cleansed this guy and told him not to talk about it. But all he wanted to do was talk about it. 
Jesus has cleansed us and told us to talk about it. So many of us refuse to talk about it. In those moments where I'm failing to talk about what the Lord has done for me, I'm ashamed. Because this leper wasn't supposed to. He couldn't hold his tongue. I am supposed to. Why do I hold my tongue? If you don't get anything out of this lesson, more than this, look at the leper and realize that's supposed to be you. He's doing what you're supposed to be doing. He's actually going against the instruction he received from the Lord, doing the thing that we have received instruction from the Lord to do. We can learn a lot from the leper in that regard. Now, I want to close with two final points, if I can get to them quickly. Two things that we can learn from this healing, in particular about Jesus. One is that he is omnipotent. This story highlights Jesus' all-powerfulness, since leprosy was considered incurable. And Luke in his, uh, his account of this, he follows, he places this story immediately after the great catch of fish. And that great catch of fish highlighted Jesus' omniscience. He knew where the fish were and told them where to let down their nets. And now, immediately after that great catch of fish, he's healing something that was considered unhealable. It's showing his omnipotence. And it's interesting to me because the the Mosaic law, it provided for ritual purification of a leper. But it was powerless, as one author said, it was powerless to actually purge a man of the disease. Mosaic law could tell you how to receive pronouncement of cleansing, but it couldn't provide cleansing when it came to leprosy. Man, leprosy is such a good metaphor for sin when you really, really think about it. And the fact that leprosy served as a symbol of sin, as I talked about earlier, the fact that leprosy served as a symbol of sin that must be cleansed implies that Jesus can forgive sin when he healed this leper. And therefore, it actually prepares us for the story that comes next, which we will study next week. The healing of the paralytic that was let down through the roof. Because you remember the first thing Jesus did for that paralytic? He didn't heal him. He forgave his sins. The fact that Jesus could could remedy and cleanse a disease that the law of Moses could not cleanse is a metaphor for what he can do to our sins. And one final thought before we get out of here. Something else we learn about Jesus from this story, I believe, is that he cared about the outcasts. Matthew's gospel in particular seems to emphasize this fact. Jesus touches a leper who was ritually unclean due to his bodily disease. Jesus rewards and praises the faith of a Gentile centurion who was an outcast among the Jews due to his ethnic background. Jesus heals and cares for a woman who was usually treated as a second-class citizen due to her gender. In each case, Jesus ignores cultural taboos and lavishes compassion upon the ostracized. Those were the words of one commentator. What Jesus does for this leper is unique in the fact that else would have had that much contact with this leper. Nobody else would have cared about this leper. Oh, they might have thrown him a few, uh, few coins to help him get by. But nobody else would have touched him. Nobody else would have risked ritual uncleanliness for the sake of the leper. But Jesus cared just as much 
about the outcast as he did for the priest, just as much for the person on the fringe as he did for the person on the throne. We can learn a lot from Jesus here as well about how we care for other people who may be outside of our normal social group. Because Jesus cared about the ones that nobody else cared about. That wraps up my portion of the study for tonight. Let me pause for just a moment. Does anybody have any questions, comments, observations that they'd like to share before we wrap up our time this evening? Well, I thank you for your attention tonight, and I hope you're enjoying our study of the life of Christ. Let's close out with a quick word of prayer. God, thank you for the example of your son. Thank you for the lessons we can learn from his life. Lord, as we studied tonight about this leper, Lord, help us to be more like the leper in our willingness to share the good news of what you've done for us. May we never hesitate to speak about the cleansing we've received. And Lord, help us to be more like your son, to care about those who are on the fringe, to not overlook those who are the outcasts. Help us to recognize that they need the cleansing power that comes from your son as well. Lord, we humbly ask that you help us to be better, to be more. We love you, Lord, and it's through your son's name we pray. Amen.